Good to be with you this morning. It is a busy month. It has already been a busy month. I know most of us uh, were here Friday night or Saturday night for the cantata. And um, publicly, personally, I want to say thank you to all of you who made that such a fun night and such a meaningful night, Dave, and, and just everybody that did so much work on that to make it what it was. And uh, it, uh, you know, God was honored and a lot of joy and um, it was fun. So thank you for, uh, for making that happen. Now, this is the time of year when most people around the world sort of start turning their attention to two things, Jesus and gifts. Not necessarily in that order, but people start thinking and talking about Jesus and people start thinking and talking about gifts. Now, not everyone thinks and talks about Jesus because not everyone believes in Jesus, but for the next couple weeks, even people who don't believe in Jesus say, it's okay for you to talk about Jesus. Keep him in a manger. Make sure he stays a baby. But for the next couple weeks, we're okay with you talking about Jesus. So this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus. It's accepted this time of year. In fact, the world sort of expects us to be talking about Jesus and when he left heaven and came to earth. The gospel writer John paints a picture for us in pretty descriptive language when he says in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's a direct reference to Jesus. Direct reference to Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth. And this morning, as you see on the screen, I want to talk to you about gifts. And not just gifts. I want to talk to you about perfect Gifts, in fact, the perfect gift, and you know where I'm going with this, but I want you to stay with me because at some point this month, either at an office party or you know, extended family or on Christmas morning, you're probably going to be involved in the process of giving and receiving gifts. And we want that gift exchange process to be memorable, right? I mean, we would like that, that exchange process to be one where where someone tells us, wow, you got me the perfect gift. Isn't that sort of what we're, we're, we're after this time of year? And before I get into my lesson, I want to try to answer the question and maybe get some help from you. What makes up the perfect gift? I thought about that this week. What constitutes the perfect gift? Is it the most popular gift? Is the most popular gift always the perfect gift? I did a little bit of research this past week. I came up with the most popular Christmas gifts for the past several decades. You'll recognize all of these. In the 1950s, the most popular gift was Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> How many of you have ever had a Mr. Potato Head? Okay, maybe you didn't get it in the 50s, but you know, he's sort of stood the test of time, right? The original Mr. Potato Head only came with the parts. You had to supply your own potato. Yeah. In the 1960s, it was G.I. Joe, the number one Christmas gift. Anybody have, here have G.I. Joe? Yeah. I was a Johnny West, Chief Cherokee kind of guy, but uh, G.I. Joe in the 60s just edged out Easy Bake Oven and Hot Wheels. I loved Hot Wheels. Came along a little later in the decade, though. 
The most popular Christmas gift of the 70s, the Rubik's Cube. What a waste of money. (laughs) What a waste of money. I looked this up this past week. There are over, listen to this, there are over 43 quintillion different possible connections, uh, confirmation, or what's the word, Um, uh, configurations of the Rubik's Cube. That's 43 with 18 zeros behind it. Talk about setting your kid up for failure and frustration. (laughs) How many of you ever had a Rubik's Cube? Most everybody. How many of you have ever solved it? A few. Wow. It's a bunch of liars in my church. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I know you have. You know, you see people on TV with a Rubik's Cube and they're like, and I'm like, what a worthless life skill. (laughs) Okay. The 1980s brought us the Cabbage Patch doll. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm getting a response. Any of you have a Cabbage Patch doll? Absolutely. In the 1990s, it was Beanie Babies. Any of you ever collect Beanie Babies? Man, talk about a marketing genius here. You know, everybody was going to get rich because they were going to find the white rhinoceros or whatever it was supposed to be. And you couldn't play with them and you couldn't take the tag off. Because one day you were going to sell it and it was going to put your kids through college, right? I see boxes of Beanie Babies at garage sales now, a dollar a box. The decade we're in right now, the 2000s, the number one gift has been the Razor Scooter. Anybody have a Razor Scooter? Yeah. As far as money spent, it was gaming systems, but just per unit... The number one gift has been Razor scooters. We're at the end of the decade here, so we'll see what the next decade brings. The perfect gift. Are those perfect gifts? I don't think so. And one reason I say no is because I know where they're all one day going to end up. (laughs) They're going to end up in a landfill. Sooner or later, they're going to end up in a box at a yard sale. They're going to end up in the back of your attic somewhere. They're going to end up in the trash. Because none of those gifts last. This past week, I put some thought into what makes a gift the perfect gift. And I tried to come up with some criteria that could be applied to gifts to make them kind of fit into that category of the perfect gift. To have them go from, well, this is very nice, to what a perfect gift. And I came up with with a couple things that I think make a good gift a great gift. Here's some things that I've come up with. See See if you agree with me. First is this. It's obvious that, that time and thought went into the gift. You can tell that the, thought, that the gift wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that was picked up at the end cap, you know, at Walmart as they walked out the store. It wasn't something that was re-gifted, you know, someone gave it to them and then they're giving it back to you. The value of the gift isn't just in the price that was paid. Maybe it's a grandmother who made a quilt out of all your baby blankets. Maybe it's a family member who put together a scrapbook, you know, showing your life. Uh, but it's something that somebody's put a great deal of time and thought into. Here's another uh, thing that makes a great gift. When it strikes a personal chord. 
Does it resonate with you? Does it connect with you? In other words, does the gift fit you? Does the giver understand your likes and your dislikes? Do they, uh, do they understand kind of who you are and what you're about? True story. Several years ago, when I was in youth ministry, somebody in the office decided that we would exchange names and get each other gifts. I got Gary Lambrick's name, the preacher. So I've got to get a gift for Gary Lambrick. My extended family did the same thing. We exchanged names. I pulled Steve Roberts' name, my brother-in-law. So now I've got to get a gift for Gary Lambrick and Steve Roberts. Martha and I go to the mall. We're in a sporting goods store, and there's this huge display of college shirts. Now that this is, this is going to work, because I know Gary's a big Notre Dame fan. I know Steve's a big Illinois fan. Here's a Notre Dame shirt. Here's an Illinois shirt. So I pick up a Notre Dame. I pick up an Illinois. I take them to the counter, and the cashier says, do you want me to gift wrap these? Yeah. <laughs> so they gift wrap those two shirts. I'm done. I feel really good about it. Uh, I put Gary's present on his desk when I leave that day. We go home. We have our extended family, you know, gift exchange. Steve opens up his, hey, an Illinois shirt, nice. And he pulls it up and looks at it, and he says, but I'm never going to be able to wear this. And I said, why not? And he said, because of what it says on the back. What does it say on the back? (laughs) And on the front, it said, Illinois fighting Illini. He turned it around, and in bold letters across the back, it said, go like hell. He's laughing. The whole family is laughing. I'm not laughing. Because I'm thinking, I just gave the preacher that same shirt. So I call Gary the next day. And I say, hey, Gary, about that gift I gave you. And Gary's like, hey, yeah, it's great. Thanks. I love it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'll wear it all the time. Really? Did that shirt say anything on the back of it? No. No, it didn't have anything on the back of it. Why do you ask? No reason. (laughs) Merry Christmas. But the perfect gift involves knowing what the recipient would like and what they wouldn't like. Here's a third characteristic of what makes a great gift. It enhances the relationship between the giver and the recipient. Maybe there's a story behind it. Maybe there's a a deeper meaning to the gift. You ever open a gift? Maybe there's 12 people in the room, but you open a gift and um, nobody else in the room understands why you got that gift or what that gift might mean. But you look at the person that gave it to you. Maybe with tears in your eyes, you say, thank you. That is perfect. Because it means something to you. And that relationship is strengthened. And that relationship is deepened. A fourth characteristic of an incredible gift is the gift requires, requires a sacrifice. And I know when I say the word sacrifice, you, you probably immediately think, well, it's extravagant or really expensive. Not necessarily. But the best gifts cost the giver something. There's a price that was paid. And again, it's not always money. Sometimes it's time, effort. Sometimes it is money, but there's a sacrifice. It's like the old Percy Sledge song, When a Man Loves a Woman, 
There's a line in that song that says, when a man loves a woman, spend his very last dime trying to hold on to what he needs. He'd give up all his comforts, sleep out in the rain, if that's the way she said it ought to be. I don't know what woman would, t- I don't know what woman would tell her man to sleep out in the rain. But the idea behind the song is, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to give what I have to give. I'm going to do what I have to do. I will sacrifice for you. And then there's one more quality that factors into a great gift. It's not really a necessity, but I think it's a nice add-on when it's possible. And that is, the gift has a really cool name. There, there, there's, a, there's a, some significance attached to the name. I mentioned G.I. Joe. That's a cool name. Okay, It just sounds cool. I don't know how many little kids would be lining up to play with G.I. Ralph. It is not the same. Or Rubik's Cube. Sounds mysterious. Sounds like something you want to try. If it was Bob's Contraption, I don't think I'd buy it. In the 1960s, Parker Brothers came out with a game called Probe. It's not a good name. I have no idea what that game was about, but I don't want to play. Okay? Not playing that game. A great name can help a gift. Okay. I did all of that to set up a conversation about the greatest gift ever given. Luke chapter 2. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Is Christ the Lord. Okay, let's just step back and see how Jesus stacks up against our perfect gift criteria. First of all, time and thought went into the gift. The idea for Jesus to come to this earth existed in the mind of God long before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. Even before creation, God had thought long and hard about the fact that we were going to need a Savior. Jesus was not a last-minute gift. It was not an afterthought. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, where we see a prediction of the coming of the Messiah. In the Old Testament, there's almost 300 different prophecies about Jesus coming into the world, written long before Jesus ever showed up. In the New Testament, after Jesus had come, Paul would write in Galatians 4, but when the right time came... God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So to say that time and thought went into that gift would be quite an understatement. Our second criteria for the perfect gift was that it would strike a personal chord. Does Jesus do that? Can Jesus meet our needs? Here's one of the most amazing, one of the most mystifying things about Christianity. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And God goes so far out of his way to impress upon us that he wants a relationship with us, a personal relationship with with us. That's why Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. 
That's why Isaiah, 700 years before Christ's birth, would say they're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's why in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you know the verse. It was uh, mentioned in the cantata this past weekend. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you notice that those descriptive words perfectly match the needs that we have? We need a wonderful counselor to help us, to guide us, to counsel us. We need a mighty God who is going to protect us. We need an everlasting Father to accept us, to claim us, to welcome us into the family. We need someone to bring peace in this chaos and this confusion that, that we find ourselves living in. Jesus meets every one of our needs. Of course, he strikes a personal chord. Then we talked about a third characteristic, the perfect gift, the fact that it enhances the relationship. Remember I said it enhanced the relationship between the, the giver and the recipient. The gift of Jesus does just that. It was a matter of God caring enough about that relationship to send Jesus to walk among us. Remember back in, in the book of Genesis, we read about Adam walking in the Garden of Eden with the Lord. Jesus goes beyond that. Jesus came and walked the earth. And when he left, to those who trust him, to those who believe in him, to those who are obedient to him, he said, I'm going to leave my Holy Spirit with you. And his last promise to us was, I'm with you always, to the end of the age. Yeah, that gift certainly enhances the relationship. And then let's see how it goes with, goes with this one. Uh, the gift requires a sacrifice. You know, when we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus, we usually focus, rightfully so, on the sacrifice of his death. But have you ever thought about how much Jesus sacrificed at his birth? The infinite is now confined to space. The eternal is now confined to time. The omnipotent is now surrounded with weakness. He created the universe, and yet now he's submitting to earthly parents and to human authorities. You want to talk about sacrifice? He owned everything, yet he became poor. He had nowhere to lay his head. He trusted on the generosity of others when he went around teaching and healing and preaching. And those first few nights in, on the, on the, in the earth, he didn't lay his head on satin sheets. And he didn't live in a perfectly appointed nursery. His bed was a feed trough covered in hay. Did Jesus sacrifice to give you the gift that he's offering? Absolutely. John would write in 1 John 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. No greater sacrifice has ever been attached to a gift. 
And then I mentioned one other attribute to a great gift. I mentioned it's not necessary exactly, but it's an added bonus, and that is it comes with a powerful name. Now, you young parents, I know that you agonize over what name you're going to give your child. You spend months talking about, you know, trying out different names, you know, adding and deleting and those kind of things. Rightfully so, because that name's going to follow that child his entire life. I went to school with a guy named Forrest Woods. I don't know if his parents were naturalists or hunters or what, but Forrest Woods. In his entire life, I watched this. Every time someone met him for the first time, he heard the same lame jokes. I always felt sorry for him. Names are important. You know, I'm glad my parents named me Tim. It's what everybody calls me. So it works out well. Names are important. You think about Mary and Joseph. You're going to be naming the Son of God, but thankfully for them, God decides to tell them what to name that son. Matthew chapter 1. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What a powerful name. What a significant name. What an appropriate name. His very name forces you to make a decision about him. You can accept him, you can reject him, but you can't ignore him. Jesus Christ is the best gift ever given. I'll I'll take you to the... uh, Probably the, the, the most loved, most quoted verse ever in Scripture, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that He gave. God gave us a gift that not only meets all those requirements of a really great gift, but also has a unique quality that that makes it the perfect gift, sets it apart from every other gift. It never grows old. It never becomes obsolete. You never find that this gift isn't quite enough. There's never going to be an upgrade. There's never going to be a time that this gift sort of uh, ends up not being useful. This gift is eternal. And what would be better, uh, a better gift than a baby? A baby that grows up. Now, Jesus' purpose in life was never to come and be born in a manger. Jesus came to this earth to die on a cross. He came to die for you and for me. And that's why we don't wear little gold mangers around our neck, do we? To remember Jesus. But I'm sure some of you have a gold cross around your neck this morning to help you remember the the price that Jesus paid for us and the gift that he offered. And God knew that. God knew that unless that little tiny baby grew up, overcoming all kinds of temptations, living a perfect life, unless that baby in a manger would one day die on a cross, you and I would have no hope of eternal life. This gift of Jesus, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. But you've got to receive the gift. 
You've got to accept the gift. You've got to be obedient to His commands. There's not much point in welcoming His birth if we don't accept His salvation. Let me say that one more time. There's not much point in welcoming His birth if we don't accept His salvation. To believe in Jesus Christ. To repent of your sins. Be baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Today, that's the gift that's offered. It's not a good gift. It's not a great gift. It is the perfect gift. It is the ultimate gift. Forgiveness. Salvation. Eternal life. That's what's being offered to us. This morning as a church family, if we can help you in any way, we invite you to meet us at the front of the auditorium. Let's stand as we sing. Jesus.